Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. And you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Luke chapter 23. We're going to be looking this morning at verses uh, 32 through 43. Uh, You can follow along with me in your own Bible uh, or in uh, the Pew Bible. It's also provided for you in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along there. Uh, We'd welcome you to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slate, and I'm the pastor here. And we are so glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, it's a beautiful day. you could be walking around Lakeshore Park. Uh, it's also the day of the Manchester Derby between Man U and Men City, which starts in 30 minutes. And so thank you all for being here. And uh, we'll just wrap this thing up pretty quickly. And uh, Or you could be down at the Knoxville Convention Center for the boat show, getting ready for the summer. Or you could be getting your 90s on, preparing for the Gin Blossoms concert tonight at the Bijou. Uh, those of you who grew up in the 90s with me, uh, you know the Gin Blossoms were awesome. Uh, but you're not doing any of those things, you're here with us this morning, and so it's really great to have you. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time uh, than worship Jesus, consider his claims upon your life, and think about the beauty of his kingdom. And so I do want to welcome you to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together to worship him so that we might learn more and more to rest in the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to go to boat shows and we love to watch uh, football and uh, we love to walk around the park. But we really love uh, to read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban University in Knoxville. And hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. People are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, uh, we entered last week into our Lenten series on words uh, from the cross. And I think this is important because the cross is more than just sort of a religious symbol that fits, uh, fits neatly into our coexist bumper sticker. And uh, the cross is more than just sort of like a symbolic image of selfless love. But as Christians, what we really believe about the cross is that the cross is the turning point in history. That the cross is the event in history through which God is reconciling the world to himself. And he's making peace 
by the blood of his cross. And so what I want to do over these next few weeks is I want us to listen to Jesus's final words, right? To his dying words on the cross in order to help us understand uh, what the cross is most fundamentally all about. All right, so with that in mind, let's look together. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 32 and we'll read down to verse 43. Two others who were criminals uh, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful that you are a God not hidden uh, and not silent, but one who loves to reveal yourself to your people. And it is our prayer uh, that as we attend unto your word now over these next few moments, that in your kindness, you would attend unto us that we would see lovely and beautiful things of you in this, your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of this old band called the Avett Brothers. Uh, They aren't all brothers. I mean, two of them are brothers, but the other two aren't, but that's really beside the point. But they sing this song uh, that's called um, Live and Die. And the chorus goes kind of like this. You and I, were the same. Live and die, we're the same. You rejoice, I complain, but you and I, we're the same. Live and die, we're the same. You and I, we're the same. Hear my voice, know my name. You and I, we're the same. It's this beautiful song about identification in the midst of conflict and in the midst of suffering. And it's all about being known by one another. And in an interview about this song, uh, one of the Avert brothers says that the song is really about finding some version of love to push you through the conflict. It's about finding some version of love to push you through the conflict. And I think this is really a small window into what is happening on the cross. Because on the cross, what is happening is that Jesus is coming to us and he is saying, you and I, we're the same. Hear my voice, know my name. And what's really amazing about the cross is when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus, the one who is completely different from us, uh, the one who gave us life, the one to whom all glory, laud, and honor are due. He joins us on the cross 
in our suffering. And he suffers. Just like one of us. And I think that this really is the love of God that pushes us through the suffering. And through the conflict. That God is a God who hears our voice. And he knows our name. And, and through his suffering, what is true of Jesus, by faith in him, right, becomes true of us. And what is amazing is what is true of us, then becomes true of him. And so in this great hour of suffering and humiliation and failure, as the thief is, is hanging on the cross, he, he looks over to Jesus, who is suffering next to him. And he says, verse 42, Jesus, remember me. Right? Jesus, remember me. And I just want to say as your pastor, I want to thank you. Many of you have been really kind to me. Uh, and you've been kind to me in this particular way in that you've sat in my office or we've sat across the table with one another and you have shared your life with me. You've told me about your suffering. You've told me about your humiliation. You've told me about your failures. And what I know about many of us is that all of us, most of us, are marked by humiliation and failure and suffering. That's who we are as a congregation. And what I want to do this morning is I want to invite all of us to enter into this prayer with the thief. And say, Jesus, remember me. Right, Jesus, remember me. Would you say that with me? Jesus, remember me. Now this prayer, Jesus, remember me, is really an interesting prayer, especially for those of us at Redeemer. Because one of the things that we say over and over again is that we're trying to become a people who are resting, reminding, and reflecting. We want to be a people who remember and we talk about reminding one another of Jesus all the time because it's so important because what we know of each other is that we always forget. And when we forget him, we tend to go our own way. And so we pray, Jesus, help us to remember you. But that's not what we're praying this morning. This morning, our prayer is, Jesus, remember me. That we're asking him to remember us because one of our greatest fears is that he might have forgotten us. And for the criminal, this is what's going on. You've got to remember that the crucifixion was this horrible death. And we talked about this last week. But crucifixion was a way of saying to the world that the person on the cross does not deserve to live. They do not belong on the earth. It was a gruesome, it was a humiliating way to die. And John Stott, in his beautiful little book, uh, The Cross of Christ, says this. He says... The Christian's choice of a cross as the symbol of their faith is the more surprising when we remember the horror with which crucifixion was regarded in the ancient world. We can understand why Paul's message of the cross was to many of his listeners foolishness, even madness. How could any sane person worship as a God a dead man who had been justly condemned as a criminal and subjected to the most humiliating form of execution? This combination of death crime and shame put him beyond the pale of respect let alone of worship crucifixion was probably the most cruel method of execution ever practiced for it deliberately delayed death until maximum torture had been inflicted the victim could suffer many days before dying 
And when the Romans adopted this form of execution, listen to this, they reserved it for criminals convicted of murder, rebellion, or armed robbery. And this is what's important. Provided they were also slaves, foreigners, or other non-persons. You see, the cross was for non-persons. It was for people who were not considered worthy of life. It was for people who had been rejected by all the kingdoms of this world. And they belonged to no one. They were loved by no one. And the crucifixion was this public declaration to the world that this person is no one and they are nothing. And it said to the person, no one loves you, no one cares about you, and no one should ever remember you. And that's what was happening to this criminal. It's what was happening to Jesus. And this criminal was there on the cross. He'd been exiled and excommunicated by the kingdoms of the earth, completely cut off from all of humanity. And for good reason. This criminal was literally a worthless criminal. Not just a petty thief. Most likely a murderer and a traitor. And he knew what was happening to him, though horrible, was deserved and just. See it in verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. And what, what the criminal is doing is he's there suffering on the cross and he looks at Jesus and he, and he looks at the other criminal and he says, this is horrible. And he looks at the other criminal and said, look, we have ruined our lives and this is what we get. This is what we deserve. We made a mess of life. We've hurt the people we loved. We have done horrible things to other people and we deserve this. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. And by turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, remember me, what he is saying is I know that I am nothing to the world. He's saying, I know that I don't deserve to be re remembered. I know that I should be blotted out from everyone's memory. I know that I have hurt many. But Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because you and your kingdom are all that I have left. No one else loves me. No one else wants me. No one else cares about me. No one else will remember me. But will you? Now, I would assume that none of us in this room this morning have ever experienced crucifixion. Uh, but uh, but I, knew, I do know that all of us have made a mess of our lives. I do know that all of us have done horrible things and we have hurt many people. We've especially hurt those that we probably love the most. I would assume that many of us have lost friends. Some of us have lost our marriages. Some of us have lost our children. Some of us have lost our reputations. Some of us have lost our jobs. And when we endure that sort of shame, do we not feel like we ought to be blotted out? Do we not feel like no one cares? Do we not feel like we should not be seen? And I would assume that there are many of you here who have been, uh, not only have you felt worthless, but somebody has told you that you are worthless. Uh, maybe as a parent, right? Maybe it's been a spouse. 
And I would assume that many of you here uh, feel like you're alone in the world and you have nowhere to turn. Some of you, I would assume, feel like when you're getting older like me, you look back at your life and you think, have I just wasted it? Uh, Will anybody ever remember me? Will anyone ever care? And sometimes we come to this place because we're sinned against. And at other times we come to this place uh, from our own doing. And we wonder, does anyone care? Will we ever be remembered? Will anyone remember me? And so with this criminal, we pray, Jesus, remember me. Right? Jesus, remember me. Would you say that with me? Jesus, remember me. And I think that this is uh, important for us to notice uh, as we look at this passage that everything that Jesus is doing is because he remembers his people. Everything that's happening is because he remembers his people. Think about it. As he's on the cross, he's dying among criminals. And this is something he has always said he would do. Back in Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says this, Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now this is really amazing because what's happening here is that on the cross, Jesus is remembering what he said he would do. Jesus had said that I will die and I will be numbered among the transgressors and I will intercede for the transgressors and so he does it. And what this tells us is that we have a God who does not uh, forget his people. We have a God who will always be true to his word. We have a God who does not forget. And it's even more lovely in Isaiah 49. uh, There's this conversation that's going on between Israel and God. And God says, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Israel, but Zion said... The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Do you ever feel that way? Uh, You hear, you read in the word, God has compassion on you. He comforts you. And we say, but God has forgotten me. And listen to the way the Lord responds. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And this is lovely. Because what it's telling us is that the Lord always remembers his people. In fact, the nails of the cross are a way in which God engraves our name upon his hands. Our names are written on his hands. We sing that. We love that. It's beautiful. Now you might think, yeah, 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 but uh, my transgressions are too big. Uh, You might think, I've never done anything worthy of being remembered. Would he ever remember me? Would he ever care? But I want you to remember this. I want you to remember what we're seeing on the cross is that Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. And here's the point of the cross. Jesus did not die for good people. Jesus died for the transgressor. Jesus died for sinners. And this is good news. And the reason this is good news is because every one of us are sinners. And he is not ashamed to identify with us. 
In Hebrews, it tells us that he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. I just finished reading uh, Graham Greene's novel, The Power and the Glory, and it's set in communist era uh, Mexico during the 20th, early 20th century. And what was happening there is that the authorities in certain regions were trying to kill the Catholic priest. And the main character in this book uh, is called the Whiskey Priest. And uh, you might figure what the Whiskey Priest loves. The Whiskey Priest loves himself some whiskey. And, uh, and he has made a mess of his life uh, with women and alcohol. Uh, women weren't the problem. He was the problem. Uh, but he made a mess of his life. And he's been on the run as a Catholic priest uh, from the authorities who are trying to kill him. In fact, he, in the book, has become one of the two most wanted men in the entire Tabasco region of Mexico. And in the book, there's this uh, other Christian, this other Catholic, who betrays him and sells him to the authorities, and he finds himself in prison. And while he's in prison, he's with the worst sorts of criminals uh, that the area has. And here's what Green writes. Again, he, the priest, was touched by an extraordinary affection. He was just one criminal among a herd of criminals. He had a sense of companionship which he had never experienced in the old days when pious people came kissing his black glove. Then a pious woman in the cell says to the priest, You don't know what sort of wretches are here, Father. Thieves, murderers. And he stops her. And he says, well, why are you here then? And she says, with unbearable pride, I'm not like them. I had good books in my house. And he stops her mid-sentence, thieves, murderers. Oh, well, my child, if you had more experience, you would know there are worse things to be. Right? There are worse things to be. And I love that. Like, but what could be worse? Well, what could be worse is a transgressor looking down on other transgressors. And that's what the other criminal was like, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And this word for railed at him in the Greek is actually blasphemed. As this criminal is dying for his crimes, he's mocking Jesus. And he's saying, you are not worthy to live. And you are a fake and you're a phony. And here's what's worse than being a transgressor, is uh, being a transgressor and not thinking you are. Or being a transgressor and looking down on others. Or being a transgressor and mocking your Savior. And what I want you to see is that we actually have a God who identifies with sinners. And this is the point of the cross. As one theologian says, Jesus wasn't numbered among the religious establishment or the politically connected. He wasn't numbered with the good, upstanding pillars of the community, the civic leaders or the business leaders or the church leaders. He was numbered among the transgressors outside the city walls, away from the good neighborhoods and cast out of the company of decent people. He was numbered among the transgressors. Now, let's just be honest. Uh, this is kind of offensive uh, to many of us who feel as if we have our lives in order and we're good, clean people. <laughs> 
And that's what we think Christianity is all about. It's about being good, clean people. Christianity is for those who who fit in and have their life in working order. But I want to invite you to listen to me. Please listen to me. Please look at the cross. Because what we see at the cross is that Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. And again, this is good news. And this is good news because whether you recognize it or not, you are a transgressor. You have sinned against your creator. And our creator desires to draw near to us. Because he does not forget his people. And that is why he joined us on the cross and suffered on our behalf. And so we pray, Jesus, remember me. Right? Jesus, remember me. Would you say that with me? Jesus, remember me. Now, there's this fascinating thing going on in this text with the other criminal. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And I think it's really interesting because many theologians see this as the final temptation of the evil one. And it's as if he's looking at Jesus and he's saying to Jesus, look, Jesus, abandon this foolish mission. Forget your people and save yourself. And this has been the constant temptation that has been leveled at Jesus over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. Where he comes to him and he says, save yourself and avoid the suffering. And so so the evil one is coming to him. And he's saying, prove your power. Prove your glory. Prove that you are the son of God. And avoid this foolish suffering and live. If you think about the suffering of Jesus or the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, you'll remember that the, the devil comes to him and over and over again he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, then prove it. It's just another way of saying exactly what this thief is saying. Are you not the Christ? Then prove it. Like, prove it by filling your hunger. Turn the stones into bread and eat. Are you not the Christ? Are you not the Son of God? Then join me and we take authority and power over all the kingdoms of the earth. Because the kingdoms of the earth are where the true power is. Where he says, are you not the Christ? Throw yourself down and be saved. It's really fascinating as you keep reading this temptation narrative in the wilderness, you you come to the end and it says this, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. What could be more opportune than the cross? When Jesus is there and he's pinned to the boards, And it looks as if his whole life and his whole mission is going to end in failure. And there he is and he's numbered among the worthless of this world. And he's being humiliated by the religious and the political kingdoms of this earth. And his life is slowly emptying out. And the devil says to him, save yourself. They just come down from the cross and live. He's saying, Jesus, you don't have to do this. You don't have to die. Don't be a fool. And if you really are the son of God, if you really are the Christ, then forget these fools and come down and live. They don't deserve it anyway. And and isn't really that what we would expect from God, that God would just keep distant from our sin? 
That, that God would keep distant from our suffering. That God would keep distant uh, from death. But that is not what our God is like. Instead, what our God does is he takes up the cross. And he does it in order to be numbered among those of us who sin and who suffer and who die. You see, that was the mission of God. The mission of God was not to save himself. The mission of God was to seek and save the lost. And therefore, his mission was to never lay down the cross. His mission was to always take up the cross. Because he came to die for our sins. And to remember his people. And what I hope you see is that uh, Jesus is not one who comes into the world singing with CeeLo Green, forget you. Uh, Jesus comes into the world uh, singing Psalm 136. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. For his love endures forever. It is he who remembers us in our lowest state. For his love endures forever. So Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Would you say that with me? Jesus, remember me. And I want you to notice uh, Jesus' response to all who call upon him in verse 43. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now if you've been around Christianity for a while, uh, I'm sure you've uh, read this uh, verse before. But if you read it in the Greek, what it literally says is, Today you will be with me in the paradise. I think it's fascinating. In the paradise. Now if you read the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Do you know what the word for garden is? It is paradise. And this is huge because the early Christians would have heard this echoing down from Genesis. And they would have remembered the garden. And they would have remembered those days in the paradise. When God was walking with his people in the cool of the day. And they would have remembered the time before the transgression. And they would have remembered when there was no humiliation or sickness or sorrow or pain or death. And so what Jesus is saying on the cross is I have heard the cries of my people. And I see their sin and I will not abandon them. For I had made a paradise to dwell with them and we will return to it. I am with you in your life, I am with you in your death, and I will lead you through that death and into my glory. And I will usher my people into my kingdom, and I will welcome them by name. It's the promise that we see in Revelation 21. The dwelling place of God will be with man, and he will, be, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And what he's saying is, <laughs> I remember my people. And all who cry out to me can be assured uh, that the transgression will be done away with. It will be gone. And that the curse, it will be gone. But we will not be forgotten. 
And we will be raised up through death to dwell with him in the joy of his presence. That's what the cross is all about. It's what this table is all about. This table is God's answer to our prayer, Jesus, remember me. How do we know that Jesus remembers us? Every week he invites us to his table so that we can feast with him. And one of the things that is really interesting is that most communion tables have these words carved on them, do this in remembrance of me. And we do, right? We, we come to the table in remembrance of Jesus. We eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus. But what is it that you remember about him? He wants you to know this morning that he remembers you. That's why he gave himself for you. That's why he gave his body and his blood. It's, why he is, uh, it's by his wounds uh, that we are healed. And what this meal is telling us that Jesus gave himself to heal us. And if he gave himself to heal us, why would he ever forget us? And so we come week after week after week. And we'll keep coming week after week after week. Until we eat this meal with him in paradise. And so as we come this morning, we come with this prayer. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Would you say that one last time with me? Jesus, remember me.